Hello and welcome back to the Pretty Serious Bike Racing Podcast. It is rest day number two at the Tour de France, well, the Tour de France home. We're going to talk about the Femme as well today, a little bit. Lots to talk about as usual, but I mean, especially because it's the middle of the Tour de France and it is the middle of what I think might be the most exciting Tour de France I have ever watched. I, I know that sounds bold, but I think it might be true. It's been the closest Tour de France, that's for sure, through two weeks that we've ever seen. So, yeah, pretty pretty stoked about the fact that we get to talk all about it. I am so excited, as ever, to have my week of conversation with bike racing analyst extraordinaire Cosmo Catalano. Cosmo, it's good to see you. It's great to uh, to be seen and to see you as well, Dane. And we are joined this week by Abby Mickey, host of the Wheel Talk podcast. Abby, how are you? Hello, I'm ready to be pretty serious. Good, that, that's all we ask. You don't need to be really serious, just pretty serious. And there's lots to be pretty serious about because we've got so much racing going on at the moment. We've got lots to look forward to. We're going to kind of lean on you a little bit to give us a little mini preview of a race that's coming up. Just a little race coming up. We have... I think lots on the docket today. I'm very, I'm very stoked for this one. Before we go any further, though, let me tell you, listeners, that everything we're doing here at the Escape Collective Podcast Network and over on EscapeCollective.com, all of those things that we hope you're enjoying, they're a member-funded. So if you are a member, thank you. We, we really appreciate that. And if you're not a member, well, go become one. It's pretty easy. You just head on over to escapecollective.com slash join, and you'll sign up, and, and you'll be happy, and we'll be happy. Everybody will be happy. It'll be great. You get to be part of a very cool community of people who support everything we do. So head on over to escapecollective.com slash join and sign up. All right, on with the show. It's Tour de France rest day number two. I really think it's it's really been the best tour I've seen in the last decade. I mean, I since I've been following the tour closely, since I've been writing about bike racing, I've never seen anything this close through two weeks. I, I don't want to be, you know, over-dramatizing things. I don't want to be hyperbolic, but it's been pretty awesome. Uh, I, I think we are pretty lucky. How, how is the race still this close? Am I being hyperbolic, or is this really that good of a race? What do you think? I mean... From a competitive point of view, I think it's hard to argue that it isn't isn't the closest. Um, I think we see two really good riders who are very well matched, two really good teams who are really well matched. Our relative uh, dearth of polemica, like had there, no one has suffered tremendous misfortune. There have been like there bits and pieces here and there, but it is tough to argue that this hasn't been awesome. Um, from my point of view, I maybe because I was just younger, but I really thought the 2003 tour had a lot of crazy stuff, and we haven't seen any of that this time around. But so far, yeah, it's it's a pretty good one. Didn't the 2003 tour not have an actual winner though? I feel like that, you know, that yes. could change. Well, with this in the tour, moment you never during know. 2003, right. it was highly yeah. competitive. Right, um, sure, sure. And I am happy that it doesn't have a winner. I still think anybody grabbing a set of old World Cycling Productions DVDs, or better yet, uh, full, full state footage, would have a very good time uh, sure, w- sure. working their way through it. Yes, yeah. and hopefully that doesn't the same thing doesn't happen with this tours or any other mm. recent tours. You never know. Mm. But it's been very entertaining. Uh, I think in terms of polemicas, 
polemiques, I don't know the French word. Uh, the one big one that we've had in the last few days is with the motorbikes uh, being kind of in the way. I, I don't really want to get too into that. I mean, the, the Tour de France Daily Pod, the, the placeholders crew, talked a fair bit about it, and I, there was plenty of, you know, of ink. I mean, not really ink. There were, there were plenty of pixels uh, that were, um, you know, written about it. But, I, yeah, I think I, I will say the one thing I want to say, though, is that I, unless the race is literally decided by, like, less than 10 seconds or, or so, I, I don't think the motos, that polemica, will have made that huge of a difference by the end of the race. And otherwise, yeah, I think you're right. There has not been that much polemique, polemica. Yeah. Um, and instead, we've just gotten a really close battle. And it's, we're really lucky that Tade Pogacar and Jonas Vingago have both stayed healthy. Because if either one of them were not so closely matched with the other, everybody else is, like, in a different universe uh, from those two. But we're lucky. They're, they're healthy. They're racing. Uh, what have we seen so far? Do, do they, as of the second rest day, there's just... There's literally 10 seconds separating the race leader, Jonas Vingago, and second place, Tadej Pogacar. And then it's more than five minutes down to third, Carlos Rodriguez. But uh, so far... Do, do we think that either one of them has the upper hand? Is it is it going to be one rider clearly taking the day at, at the end of all this? I think it's really hard to say. I feel like going into the time trial, they both look like they're pretty evenly matched. Like Neither of them looks like they're more cracked than the other. I think it would have been easy to say that Tade looked like he was riding a little bit better than Jonas in the last couple stages, but he still wasn't able to make up any time. And of course, a little bit of that was maybe the motorbikes, but maybe not. We'll just never know. So I, I feel like it's so it's the most evenly matched at this stage in the race I've ever seen in a tour. Yeah, the time trial, we're going to get to what's coming up. We're going to get to the, the week ahead, but the time trial coming out of the rest day is going to be decisive. I think it's going to, it's going to, it could potentially be the decider of the race. Uh, and, that, and that's going to be such a big deal for both of those riders. Uh, before we kind of look ahead, though, let's talk about some of the moments that have happened so far, both at GC and, and outside of the GC. Um, like our, our favorites. I think we, I, I really enjoyed talking about this last show, trying to kind of pick out some of our favorite moments in the race. Uh, and I, I'd love to do it again uh, after two weeks of racing. And I, we talked, well, I asked you guys before the pod to kind of come up with some of your favorite moments thus far. Uh, Abby, I want to throw to you first. Um, I feel like for me, one of the top moments of the week, since obviously Mike Woods win doesn't count because that was technically last week. Um, but best moment of the race so far, if you ask me, however, the best moment of the week, I would say was when Rodriguez caught Pog and Vinigo on the like descent climb of the stage he won and then dropped them and went away to win the stage again motos maybe played a little bit of a role in that but <laughs> it was still a super exciting stage from like the perspective of him coming back and then outsmarting them and then winning the stage right after Quiato had won the stage is that was pretty cool yeah that was something and, and just to see the Ineos Grenadiers well now they've got a rider sitting third overall coming into this race <laughs> I mean, even at even at Escape, there was we were talking about how this might be the least GC-oriented team in years, but they've won mountain stages and they have a rider in third overall, so they've done pretty darn well for for what the you know what they brought into this race. Cosmo, 
I was going to say it was uh, on stage, uh, I think, 14, when Vinigo came back to Pogacar. There had been a two consecutive mountain finishes where Pogacar had, had managed to wrestle a few seconds away from, from Jonas. And uh, this was, you know, this was 3K out. This was the distance he went from when he gained back the most time on uh, Vinigo in the first week. It looked really ominous, like maybe this is the deciding moment of the race. He opened a big gap, probably 10 or 12 bike lengths. And then Jonas slowly reeled him back in. Um, and it was just very, it was very appropriate to this year's tour, right? You've got this moment that you are so conditioned to think, okay, this is it. This is the ball game. And it's like, nope. And they came back together. And I'll, I'll talk about this more in the in the intriguing moments section in our run sheet. But it. It, Jonas didn't just come back. He came back and like got all up in Pogacar's business. It was very, very flexy. There's a lot of the, the, just the, 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 the battle and the interplay there on every level of competition is really satisfying to see. Um, I also, just because I'm weird, uh, I really liked when uh, Yates and Rodriguez were coming back to those two. And literally, if you watch closely, you can see Rodriguez ride up. He's blocked by a motorcycle. He finds a little bit of space next to the motorcycle and taps the cameraman on the back of the, like, with his hand, kind of taps him. It's like, you see the cameraman turn and look and go, oh, and they move the moto out of the way and he makes his way past it. But the other moto in front of them, like, doesn't know that they're coming. So he kind of has to work his way around that one. It was just very... It was like a comedy bit in the middle of the stage. Uh, and fortunately, he ended up winning, but it's still, again, I'm not going to dwell on it here because it's been talked about, but it really highlights the issue that the ASO continues not to address uh, with, with with motorcycles. Uh, it was a very uh, cool, I mean, cool in the sense that like, yeah, it was it was entertaining, but also cool in the sense that he was you know, calm and collected yeah. way of dealing on. with it from Rodriguez, who is a very young rider, 22-year-old rider, to have the presence of mind to just oh, a little tap here and uh, hey I'm here um, and let me go on and win the stage, uh, that was just really really impressive to me for for such a young guy who's been uh, he's been at the World Tour for a little while but this is his first ever Tour de France and you know kudos to him for for being able to go on and win that stage despite the obvious frustrations of having the motos in front of him. Uh, I'll take it away from the GC just a little bit to throw it over to the the sprinting world where I. I did really enjoy on stage 11 after three sprint stages where Matthew Vanderpool really led Jasper Philipson. I don't want to say expertly because on one occasion he was relegated for his roughness in so doing, but he did effectively lead Jasper Philipson into position for some sprints. On stage 11, Jasper Philipson was kind of freelancing, did not have Vanderpool there. Vanderpool had said that he was not having the best day. And the moment when he decided to launch his sprint and come out from behind Dylan Grunewagen and just completely crushed everybody, I kind of just like stared and and in awe, laughed a little bit at how much faster he was than everybody. Because in that moment, I realized, okay, it's not just the lead out. He's that much better than everybody. And this is a rider who, let's not forget, two years ago at the Tour de France, he was he just kept coming up so so close he had let's see he finished second third second third third at second in sprint opportunities he didn't win a stage uh at the 2021 tour and it was one of those races where you thought man is this guy ever going to win at this 
This guy maybe doesn't have that killer instinct. Well, obviously he does, and obviously he's extremely fast. He just blew everybody away on stage 11. And I have to say, I, I kind of, yeah, I just had to laugh a little bit watching him destroy everybody in that sprint. I love that sprint too, and a lot of it was not just that raw display of speed, but the really solid decision-making he made after not having a Van Art or a Vanderpool lead-out. Just really resilient. He got bumped around a lot. He, he just found a way to make it work. Um I don't know that he is, in raw terms, that much faster than, than Hrnoega, just because Hrnoega had been in the wind for a little bit longer, but it was still just like a complete demonstration of skill set. Yeah, he you know, def- definitely weaved his way through, and then there was a moment where, I think I wrote the report that day, so there was a moment where he no, like he discovered her, he, he realized that he had to make up some ground, and he put himself into the wind for a little bit, trying to make up that ground, and he did it pretty effectively very quickly to get into a good position after having been pretty far back there with 500 meters to go he and Biniam Germay were both really far back and by the end of the sprint Biniam Germay was kind of still back there but Philipson had really yeah gone into the wind at, at points to to move up and then the fact that he still had strength after that to then just leave everybody in the dust was was very impressive so I was yeah bemused I think is probably the way to describe my my feeling watching that and amused as well uh, all right Intriguing moments that maybe passed under the radar. Uh, Abby, I love that you point this out because I didn't even realize this fact. I didn't even think about this fact until you wrote it here in our run sheet, which is that... Yeah, Yamo Visma hasn't won a stage yet. And if you think about how dominant they were in last year's tour with like multiple riders winning stages before the third week, um, it's kind of crazy that, I mean, Wout hasn't won a stage and he's been close, but not close enough. And then, yeah, Vinigo, even though he's been in the leader's jersey, he's not won a stage either. So they've not been able to take a stage at all this year, which I think is very interesting. Yeah, by the end of the race, it feels like it will have paid off for sure if they win the whole thing. And I think Vinigo does have a chance to win the time trial. Wapanar has a chance to win the time trial. But if they don't win the race and they don't win a stage, man, it'll be a. They could it could be the end of the team, according to what I know from Netflix. Where if you don't win a stage at the Tour de France, it's just over for you. I'm I'm waiting for Belgium to the the internet of Belgium to turn on on Vinigo. You know, if if Van Art doesn't like people are already kind of chomping at the bit, like why why Van Art they're doing Van Art wrong or he hasn't won any stages. And I, I, if he has to do like domestique work for the yellow jersey without winning a stage, I, there, there may be, there may be irritated Belgians having bad takes on the internet, which is not the most consequential outcome in the world. But still, it's it's interesting to see uh, how agitated that fan base can get. I saw when like when their hero doesn't deliver the most hilarious meme on Instagram the other day. There was like how, yeah, how everyone sees Yumbo Visma, and it was just like a team picture and then it was like how Belgium sees Yumbo Visma and it was like all the members of Yumbo Visma ripping Wow apart and like Jonas like ripping his heart out of his chest. <laughs> uh, I I do think that this two stages that will take place immediately after we record this podcast are two good opportunities for Yumbo to win a stage. So we will see what happens there. Definitely wife going into labor right now as you say that. Could, you could be happening. It. Yeah. Uh, all right, Cosmo, you also have a Yumbo related uh, thought here. Yeah, going going back to what I said earlier, I think the the really deeply psychological warfare between Vinigo and Pogacar has been 
really interesting to watch. Uh, you would see Armstrong do it all the time, but it was never really close with him. He was just being a jerk. But like this is very much a, we can't make separation with our legs, uh, so how else can we get at each other? I uh, think specifically of when Vinugo came back to Pagachar on stage 14 and immediately like rides in front of him and starts looking back at him. I couldn't see if he was talking at all, but it really kind of seemed that way. And Pagacha at this point had like his glasses off, like up on his helmet, and you could see him actively like not making eye contact. It was very strange. Like it, I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. And it went on for basically the entire rest of the climb, right up to the sprint at the end. Um, yeah, it was. It, it and it's you kind of saw it again too at the finish of stage 15, where it was pretty clear neither one of them was going to be able to gain meaningful time, and they kept kind of, you know, after those first two surges were made, they kept trying to go around each other, kind of get that psychology of, well, you know, we weren't going hard today, but I still beat you to the line. Like very, it's, it's, it's just full, full core press. It's, it's something I haven't seen in cycling for, for a long time. Yeah. I think there's, uh, I have two thoughts here. The first is that it's made possible by the fact that it is so close. Like I think back to the, the Froome tours where, like you had Nairo Quintana's poker face was always hard to read how he was feeling. But at the end of the day, it kind of didn't matter because Froome was so far ahead that, like, okay, so Quintana can go up and take a minute on a mountain. That's fine. Froome still has four. So I think the fact that they're so close means that it, the psychological stuff does very much matter here. And the other thing that I, I am pretty interested in and, and again, sort of, sort of amused by is that I think going into the race, we talk about Tadej Pogacar's, you know, psychological warfare ability to get into his opponent's head. We talk about that a lot, actually, and, and they, we, we've been talking about it a fair bit on this podcast. I think Jonas Vingegaard's done a really nice job in the last few days of kind of fighting back in his own little way, his own somewhat expressionless way uh, of, of doing things that, yeah, Pogacar then, as, as you kind of point out, he shows frustration with what's happening, and Vingegaard is just there stone-faced. You know, uh, I have to think they're both in each other's heads. It's not just a one-directional thing. I will say Pogacar has not developed much poker face. Like there was uh, on stage 14, I think he dropped a bottle, maybe 17K from the line and like was obviously upset about it. Like he didn't just drop it and we're like, okay, I'll get another. He dropped it. He kind of like almost like threw his fist a little bit, like made a grumpy face. He was very doing a lot of looking around and kind of glaring at his teammates the rest of the climb. Uh, and I think it's because in normal conditions, in like mixed bike racing conditions, he is exceptionally confident. And I think in these high mountains, he is worried uh, and maybe not entirely sure of his abilities in a way that he isn't in other spots. And maybe that's what Jonas is going for. I think the funny thing with that is he would be assured of his ability of beating literally anyone else on the planet. <laughs> Because he's that much better than everyone else on the planet at these huge mega alpine climbs. It's just this one guy, just this one Danish guy who used to work at a fish factory, uh, who loves his family. That's the narrative. Yeah, loves you gotta, his family. We, you can't. If Pogacar hears this, he's just gonna keep going at him. You're 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 feeding the Yumbo machine, Dave. I mean, good. This is this is fun. That sounds great to me. I do wonder. I kind of wish that they all had tennis rackets in their hands because, as we saw at Wimbledon. It allows you to really take out your anger in a very visible way, you know. And I, I would, I, just, well, I want to see how many of them are, are smashing their rackets. Uh, but we don't have really have because nobody really wants to smash a ten thousand dollar bike. Bike, bike throws exist. That it's happens. It's just a, hard to do. Yeah, uh, yeah. You can't, you can't do it 
in between points and be competitive. Right? That's you that is true. Who's watching Wimbledon? <laughs> Abby, my mother-in-law texted my wife and I and said, "Hey, you should turn on Wimbledon. It's a really good match." Yeah, so that's there you go. that's the level that of cultural penetration that match at. Look, I am just preparing myself for the sports overload that will be the Women's World Cup and the Tour de France Femme of Zwift at the same time. So there you go. Yeah, I'm not watching any sports until then. <laughs> All right, my my little thought here that may have flown under the radar, at least it kind of was until maybe the very last day before we recorded this podcast. Uh, UAE's been pretty good at this tour. I think it's it's something that it's it's been slightly hidden by the fact that I think Yumbo has been more visible at the front. I mean, they're bright yellow jerseys, so it's kind of hard not to be. Uh, but also, Sepkus is almost always there. But then on the last stage before the rest day, you know, unfortunately for for Sep, he was uh, part of a crash, and uh, who knows how that will impact him going forward. But at the end of the day, it was UAE all over the place at the front of the race, and Jonas Vingegaard was a little bit more isolated than he typically is. Now, part of that is that they decided to put Waffenart on the brake to try to go for the stage win. But in general, I do think UAE has really been up to the task. And there was a moment a few days ago where uh, Adam Yates, who was several minutes down on GC, put in a dig that Yumbo Visma responded to, which seemed a little strange. We talked about this with Ronan last week, Cosmo, how, you know, is is Yates close enough to really make a difference to really be a, a problem for them? And it's sort of like they seem concerned that if they let him go, he will then get enough time to then be a problem, which in and of itself makes him a problem that they need to worry about. So he's, as of the second rest, he's five minutes and 40 seconds down, which is pretty far down. But there is always that possibility that he can go for a long break. And I think we saw, we saw that Yumbo actually kind of cares a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit. On the flip side, yesterday or on the stage before the rest day, when Yates put in a dig, Vingo didn't respond. Yeah, he did not. That's true. So the team definitely like told him, look, simmer down. It's going to be okay. Which is usually the, the sort of thing that I think is reserved for UAE telling Tadej Pogacar, hey, simmer down. Uh, but maybe Jonas needed to hear it too. That's that's what I was going to comment was the uh, the on the on the big Yumbo stage at the 2022 Tour de France, um, there were a ton of UAE guys there with with uh, Pagachar over the top of Telegraph, I think it was, when Roglic went. And he was just like, okay, cool, I'm going to go chase Roglic. And it was very much like, you have completely outkicked your coverage here, kid. Just Ooh. just hang back. What sport uh, is that reference to? Uh, American gridiron football. Oh, okay, cool. That's a good one. That's so, a good sport. I don't know if it does it. That doesn't happen in rugby, right? There's no... I don't. There's no kickoffs. They no. just they just give the ball back and forth like normal human. Yeah, beings. I don't think there's out kicking a coverage. Yeah, no, I, 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 you know, not to not to put a counter to what you're saying. I think UAE has exceeded expectations. Expectations of everyone except perhaps for Dane Cash, who wrote an article about how good they were. Hey, thanks, Cosmo. Um, second shout out for it. I think it's, that is. It's yeah, I really relevant. appreciate that's that's a lot of love I'm getting there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it, it, you know, they were they were always pretty good, and I think people kind of overlooked it because Pagachar didn't utilize it to its its full advantage. And I think we're seeing the the, the true potential this time around. All right, uh, before we talk about the final week, one last little segment, which eventually I'm going to try to find some horns for to announce this, but I haven't done it yet. So, unheralded riders, 
I'm going to herald Phil Bauhaus real quick because I feel like the sprints so far, the story has generally been either Mark Cavendish going for that record-breaking win or crashing out or Jasper Philipson crushing everybody or Jasper Philipson doing things that were borderline relegatable. And in that mass confusion, I feel a little bad for Mr. Phil Bauhaus, who has done a pretty good job in the sprints, and he's somebody that I would not have put in the top five of my you know riders to watch in the sprints at this race because you do have Philipson, Cavendish, and Grunewagen, and Peterson, and Caleb Ewan coming into this race. A lot, of, a lot of fast guys. And Bauhaus has been pretty darn good, the German rider for Bahrain Victorious. He has been second, third, and third in sprints so far. He has not really been that close recently, but I think he's proven to me that he deserves a little bit more respect. And yeah, I'm going to herald you for that, Phil. So nice job and good luck in the you know upcoming sprint stages. All right, who you got, Cosmo? I um, I feel weird uh, because he won the Tour de Suisse like a month ago. Um, but Matthias Skelmos has been really, really versatile and really helpful uh, for, for Lidl Trek. He, on the stage uh, Peterson won, he was very, he was like doing a lead out, basically, just going to the front and smashing it, you know, 3K to go. Uh, I think yesterday uh, he was in the breakaway setting things up for uh, Giulio Ciccone on the KOMs. Like, he really seems to just kind of slot in wherever they need him. I think he's been getting in breaks with the idea of taking a, sta- a stage win, if he can, and has, I think yesterday, straight up said, you know, I didn't have the legs for it, so I just helped Ciccone, and it's just like, it's really cool to see a, a guy who has performed at the top level outside the tour just show up and do whatever he can do to the best of his ability for his team, um, however it's needed. Yeah, it's it's not easy to go from being the sort of potential GC rider to doing all these other things, helping in different like sprints and yeah, going for KOMs. So yeah, kudos, uh, Abby. I'm gonna go with Wout Pools. Um, I feel like since he left uh, Team Sky in 2019. As one of those super domestiques who has grand ambitions of being a GC contender, he's had a little bit of a rough go. Um, He's not been the contender that I think he thought that he could be and uh, that Bahrain Victorious slash McLaren thought he could be. And on the flip side of uh, Rodriguez, he's 35 now, so kind of on the on the older side and I think taking this tour stage is gonna be a massive gonna feel like a massive accomplishment to him after a couple years of not not such great results and for that team you know I am vaguely reminded of I mean I'm I I don't really want to say this because I know that people have strong opinions I'm vaguely reminded of TJ Van Garden when I say what I'm I'm about to say which is that people (laughs) had such high expectations for what was going to happen that I think they kind of ignore the things that he did achieve Uh, and more so for Wout Pools even because Wout Pools did go to Bahrain with the expectation that he's going to be the GC leader and because that didn't happen I think people are sort of thinking oh Wout Pools never really lived up to it well Wout Pools is a monument and Tour de France stage winner who won a bunch of stages and other really big races in his career so when he retires he's going to have a heck of a Palmares to look back on also true of TJ by the way who still did a lot of pretty good things in his career but yeah I think it's sort of overshadowed by this years that didn't really live up to people's expectations for sure i i mean yes to what you just said but also like i think 
for him this year specifically, it's going to be a huge achievement to have taken this stage. He's not really had a great year so far up to this point, and yeah, neither true. has the team. Um, so, I, yeah, I think him taking this stage. And it was such a huge bummer that there was so much excitement going on behind him, and we only got, like, a second, split-second shot of him winning. Because, yeah. like, it's going to be... Not not only is it massive for him, it's massive for his family and friends watching from home, and they barely even got to see him. Yep. I wonder if he can ask the production team for you know a longer a longer shot of him crossing the finish line. They can yeah. gussy it up like a regular like they had actually broadcast the stage one live instead of doing a two second cut in the middle of the GC group. I definitely have felt for some of the non GC riders of the tour where that's that's been the case. Uh, also, they do, they spend an inordinate number amount of of time covering the guys who are like a minute or two behind the, the Tadej Pogacar and Jonas Vingago as well. Especially if they're French. Especially if they're French. So it's like, like. Yeah, come on. yeah. All right. Uh, lastly, real quick, I want to say that the Yates versus Rodriguez battle has been heating up. I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, Carlos Rodriguez trying to finish third. Adam Yates, maybe, maybe Jai Hindley. We'll see. Uh, yeah, that's that's where we stand right now, though. It's very clearly Pogacar versus Vingago. Hopefully we'll both be able to stay upright in the coming stages and let's talk about what's to come immediately after this rest day will be what i think probably will be the most important stage of the tour de france stage 16 is the time trial and given how closely matched these two have been on the climbs although there is one climb coming that i guess could also really change that we'll see but let's talk about the time trial first stage 16 coming out of the rest day on tuesday it's going to be I can't. I can't imagine it not being decisive. Even though both of these riders should be pretty evenly matched. I, I going into the race, I would give in like Pogacar. I don't know a slight, tiny, little edge in the TT. Uh, I did put up a highly scientific poll on Twitter where I said, "Hey, who do you think is going to come out on top on the TT?" And a surprising amount of people were. It, it was more clearly Pogacar than I thought people would say. It was like two thirds of people thought Pogacar, and and I feel like it's more like a. Almost a coin toss between the two. I don't know. Do, do we have opinions on this? I mean, did they not see the end of last year's tour? Well, did they also not see the end of the tour where Tadej Pogacar destroyed the Olympic champion in the time trial en route to his tour win? Wait, so does that mean, Kazo, that you think Vigago is a slight favorite here? I, you know, he he was really good at the bike at the end of a Tour de France last year, and here we are approaching the end of a Tour de France. Uh, and... Uh, we haven't seen any time trialing action yet, but um, I, you know, he's looked as good as he looked last year. I, I don't see any reason why he would he would underperform relative to that. I like the language you use there because I think for all you know, we're going to spend forty or fifty minutes talking about the bike race today. But at the end of the day, we're really what we're saying is this person is good at the bike during this race, you know, or they're not. That's that's what we're getting to here, uh, Abby. I no, I simply couldn't pick because I think I feel like I would. No, I can't. I feel like it's so they're super evenly matched, and it's really hard to tell like who is gonna come out on top. And I just every time I want to say that I think the Pogacar's got this one, it it my brain stops working, and I'm like, we have a, <laughs> and it goes pretty good. Uh, I do think we've seen uh, Pogacar has a longer history of time trial success by, by maybe a year and a half, not not by a lot. 
Uh, and then the other thing is with this this time trial does have a very hard climb in it, which has some very steep gradients. The uh, the Côte de Mancy, I think, Domancy, uh, is officially it's 2.8k at 8.5%, although it continues after the official top of the climb. But that 8.5% gradient, I mean, that that to me looks like a place where the explosive Tadej Pogacar could could be effective. But uh, yeah, it is going to be very close, I think. In any case, as much as I think that will probably decide the race, the next day could very well just see somebody lose, you know, 10 minutes because stage 17, I think, I think it's the queen stage. It does, it does feature the souvenir Henri de Grange, which is the highest point in the Tour de France, the Col de la Loz, which they will be climbing after going over three very hard climbs. And the Col de la Loz is, I feel like it's kind of, it's kind of, uh, on another level in terms of the brutality of this climb. Uh, if you look at the metrics, they don't really tell the full story. And, and they're already, they, the story they tell is already quite difficult. So officially on the, you know, the, the road book, it's a 28.3 K climb at 6%. In reality, it's like two sections of much steeper road with a brief intermission in the middle. And I think it's going to be that the last few K, I mean, they're super steep. Uh, the stage does not finish on top of the climb. It finishes with a descent into a then, once again, extremely steep final few hundred meters into Courcheville. But the climb is so long and has enough steepness in the early goings that it certainly could make a big difference. If either rider is having a bad day, that's going to be the end of their race, or at the end of their GC bit at least. Um, I also think it's going to be a day where the unfortunate rest of the GC hopefuls are going to finish so far behind Tade Bogacar and Jonas Vingago. Uh, that it's going to be even more of a of a crushing third place situation, but yeah. I would just want to note two things here, and one is that for whatever reason, Vinigo has uh, gained time on stages that end in a descent, whereas Pagachar has taken time on summit finishes. Uh, I also like that this stage is really short. It is seventeen thousand feet of climbing in one hundred and sixty six k, which is very active intense racing with no downtime not a lot of flat yeah not a lot of messing around here yeah so the next two days really at the tour they're going to be very important uh and then stages 18 and 19 probably are going to be for the stage hunters 18 i think just looks like a sprint 19 is harder to say because there's a later cat three uh and then stage 20 last big climbing day of the tour de france uh they are in alsace which is why the things have German-looking names here and there, uh, including the final climb, the Col de Platzervassel. Uh, it's going to be a tough one. There's two late Cat 1 climbs, and I don't think it's going to be as decisive as the time trial and as decisive as Stage 17. But we could see more action if the race is still close, which, it, by all indications, I mean, that's what we've seen so far. It's stayed really, really close. And then, of course, there's that, uh, there's that final stage where we get to see the sprint showdown once again in Paris, and we will have to see if Jasper Philipson can continue to rack up stage wins. Uh, that is what's ahead at the men's Tour de France. Last sort of maybe men's Tour de France chat here. I want to do a little update. Who do you think is going to win the race? Uh, Cosmo? I... um. I'm sticking. I'm sticking with Pogacar because I picked him earlier, and I want to stick with my pick. But I, 
actually probably think Vinigo is, is, is going to come through, at least based on what I've been seeing and my feelings about the TT, but uh, sticking with Pogacar against my better judgment. Uh, Abby Mickey, in the preview that I wrote for escapecollective.com, you picked Jonas Vingigo. Who is your pick two weeks into this race to win the race? I feel pretty much exactly the same way as Cosmo. Um, I'm sticking with my pick, I think Vinigo, but I think Pogacar might have it against my better wow. judgment. This is a very interesting reversal. Yeah. But uh, didn't see that right. coming, well, did you, Maybe it's because we're, pu- we're, pull- we're pulling for the person, but deep down we I, question n- our I get that. No, I get that. Um, that's tough. But, yeah, that, that's the great situation that we have before us. Uh, this means that no matter what happens, we're right. Because that's true, <laughs> I, I get that. No, I, I hear I am the hedging not claiming of the bets. to be right if any go into Tour de France. I hear the hedging of the bets. Uh, I, I picked Tadej Pogacar, and I think Tadej Pogacar is gonna win the Tour de France. I'm just gonna, you know what, I'm gonna go for it. Uh, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. We'll see. All right, what about Green? Is anybody other than Jasper Philipson going to finish within a thousand points? If you, no, I'm pretty sure Jasper Philipson's gonna win the Green. We don't need to waste time with that. Uh, Polkadots. I think Chico is going to win this, actually, because it seems like Lidl Trek is putting a lot of their eggs in the Chico winning the polka dot jersey basket based on the 15th stage. I really like a rider who focuses on that as a career thing, and if Chicone can win it, that would be two Grand Tour Mountains jerseys in his career, and that I'd love that. I love that for him. So Was that his plan coming in, though? It is doesn't matter, right? This, I mean, is this like a consolation? Prize? His plan coming in was probably I will try to finish high on GC, and since I'm almost certainly not going to finish as highly as those other two dudes, might as well go for the KLMs, and hey, that works out great. I'm cool with it. Uh, young Rider jersey? I don't know. It's going to be tough. It's going to be a really close battle. Uh, it is at least the last year where Tadej Pogacar will be crushing everybody because he's not going to be quote-unquote a young rider anymore after this. Can we get rid of this jersey, please? I very much think that there relevant. should be a dad jersey, like the top dad. Yeah, totally. Ooh, Although then Vinigo yeah. would win it. But so he's still, yeah, he's still eligible. Maybe it should just be like the oldest guy in the like the. It should yeah, be, there should be a everyone over thirty-five 32. and up or something. Yeah. Thirty-two. Come on. I feel attacked. I feel personally attacked by that, Abby. All right. With that out of the way, Abby, let's uh, let's get a little mini preview here of the upcoming Tour de France Femme, Avec Swift. Tell us about the route first. What kind of route are we looking at for this year's race? It's an interesting one. Instead of starting in Paris on the Champs-Élysées like they did last year, they're starting in Clermont-Ferrand, which is where the 11th stage of the men's race started. The first stage has a Category 3 climb nine kilometers from the finish so it's not your typical like sprint stage to start out the race which i think will make the stage pretty interesting from the beginning after that we have a mountain stage on stage two ish there's four category fours a category two and a category three and none of them are crazy long but it does finish on top of that category three 3.5 kilometers long almost six percent so Another interesting stage that's not a sprint. I think that they're trying to keep the yellow jersey off of the shoulders of Mariana Voss, but we'll see if it works. Stage three is the first, like, real sprinter's day with four climbs, but none of them are too long and none of them are too hard, and it's pretty flat for the last 50K. So 
the the third stage looks like it's actually a sprint stage then the fourth stage is another like mountainous kind of day but what marks the fourth stage is really that it's 177 kilometers long the longest stage in a women's race before was in last year's tour de france femme of x wift and it was only two kilometers shorter and the women were not huge fans of it um they the stage was relatively boring uh the words of Kashini Wadoma and Chantal Vandenbroek Black not my own and there was a massive crash with 40 kilometers to go because the race wasn't fast enough um what is what those riders had to say after the stage so this one is even longer but it's like basically flat until the halfway and then it gets pretty hilly in the end of the stage I feel like Van Vluten is eyeing that stage um given what's to come and how her rival is climbing the fifth stage is another like hilly stage but not mountainous stage there's three climbs the last climb is pretty far from the finish so I feel like that one is the first day that really looks like a good breakaway day but there was not a single breakaway day at the Giro so I think that the those who are hoping for a break are going to have a really hard time in this race Stage six is another possible sprint stage with a couple hills, but nothing really. Stage seven is where it gets really interesting, almost 90 kilometer long stage. And they do the Col de Aspen and the Tourmalet back to back. So it's a short stage, but it is a heck of a lot of climbing. And it finishes atop the Tourmalet. So that's pretty much the first general classification, the classic general classification stage of the race, the day before the final stage which is a 22.6 kilometer long tt in po with a hill in the middle of it you mentioned van vleuten demi voldering the other obvious favorite i'm gonna put you on the spot who's gonna win the race i believe that i wrote in my preview that netflix couldn't write a better uh duo to be the contenders for this year's tour de france femme of x whips like Literally, it could not have been scripted better. You've got the 40-year-old legend in her final year of racing, the world champion, who going into the season, everyone said, okay, she's done. She's she's not going to be able to win La Vuelta. She won La Vuelta. She's not going to be able to win the Giro. She won the Giro. And on the other side, you have Demi Vollering, the protege of the other of Van Vluten's like former rival who's relatively new to the sport but is absolutely just demolishing everybody almost won the Vuelta but lost based on tactics not based on strength because she was clearly out climbing Van Vluten at the Vuelta didn't race the Giro in order to prep for the Tour de France Femme so we don't know how they're stacked up against each other now it's been since May the last time that they properly raced against each other the last time they actually raced against each other was the time trial at the Dutch National Championships where Vollering beat Van Vluten. So if you think, the more I think about it, the more excited I am for the showdown because I, I don't know who's going to win. I think it's going to be Vollering, but I think that Van Vluten, time and time again, people say, okay, she's finally done. It's finally, it's finally over. The reign of Van Vluten is finally over, and she always just makes everyone eat their words <laughs> so it's going to be so exciting and I unfortunately I do think it's a little bit of a two-horse race 
Dane, I know how much you love talking about a two-horse race, and this one really looks like there's not many riders that can contest against these two. They are just head and shoulders above the rest of the peloton. I think the fight for third is going to be awesome. There's like a lot of riders who can contest third that I'm really excited about. But when it comes to that yellow jersey, it's it's going to be Van Vluten or Volering in the end, and how we get there is going to be incredible. Uh, I, I'm okay with a two-horse race uh, in comparison to a one-horse race. So that would be – I mean, we've had a two-horse race at the men's Tour de France, and it has been amazing. So as long as it's not a one-horse race, I'm, I'm great with it. I am really curious to see how Este Works uses Marlon Reuser um, coming – Coming off the, the, the season she's had, uh, winning Tour de Suisse, winning kind of getting some assists in winning, uh, I think it was Burgos or was it Atulia? It was Atulia. Yeah. It was Atulia? Yeah. 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 I, you know, the, I, I think she is a shoe in to win the time trial at the end of this thing. Um, but uh, I also, um, as much as van floten has a history of making people eat their words i think she's really kind of gotten away with a lot of people not punishing her when she is doing things that should be punished by bike racing um just off the top of my head i I think i mentioned this in the last podcast but she just kind of crashed into need fisher black's rear wheel at like at the bottom of a giro climb and nobody was like, yes, let's smash her. Uh, probably because, you know, she could realistically fight her way back into the race and be mad about it. But at some point, all these mistakes and this weirdness on the bike that she always has had is going to get exploited by someone. And I think it's probably going to be Este Works. And I think it's going to happen at the tour. And I think there is going to be some sweet revenge for the uh, the pee break incident at the, at the Vuelta. I am still like salty about the fact that nobody <laughs> took advantage of her being dropped in the gravel stage of the Giro, of the Tour de France last year. Like I still don't understand why nobody did more on that stage given she had like a stomach infection at the time and was dropped and everyone just kind of like let her get back on. I'm still salty about that, but I do think that we're seeing a different version of Anamique this year and I think it's going to be I think she's going to put in a really good fight to win. I also think that, unfortunately, as much as I would love to see them use Rooster in a in an exciting way, I think that SC Works is going full in for Dummy. Uh, I saw an interview that Sive did with um, Lada Kapeki saying that the team is... 100% for Demi. So I think she's going to be a huge asset to Demi for sure, but I, I don't think that they're going to give her much leeway in terms of winning a stage like she did last year. I think one of the most exciting riders looking at the TT is actually not Marlon Rooser. It's uh, Rihanna Marcus of Yumbo Visma who won the Dutch National Championships and has really put in a ton of work this year to be a GC contender. She finished fourth at the Vuelta and she hasn't raced a ton since then. So I think she's a super exciting prospect for third, but we have a list of women who are going to be really, really exciting for third. I feel like I'm equally excited about the race for first and the race for third. <laughs> if you want to hear more about the Tour de France Femme of Zwift, um, check out the Wheel Talk podcast coming later this week with Amanda Spratt who's one of those exciting contenders for third is going to be 
on the podcast with myself and Matt Deneef talking about the stages, which she's actually seen, so she knows what she's talking about, and um, talking about what to expect from the race. Well, I think that's I think that's it for us on the Pretty Serious Bike Racing Podcast. Lots of racing to watch. In between now and the next time we talk to you, there will have been a Tour de France men's winner, and the Tour de France Femme Avec Swift will be underway. So go watch more bike racing this week. It's, it's the most wonderful time of the year, mid-July. And uh, we can't wait to talk more about it next week. Until then, obviously, go listen to the Tour de France Daily podcast and all the other shows. And go head over to escapecollective.com, read all the stories that we're writing about the tour and everything else. And maybe, just maybe, head over to escapecollective.com slash join and sign up. Become a member. All right, that's it from us, and uh, we'll see you next time. Cosmo, Abby, thanks, and bye. Au revoir.